We stopped serving religion for one Sunday to see what would happen. Oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. We no longer carry religion. Okay, you're kidding me right now. But, but that's what I come here for. They discontinued the religion? That's crazy. But that's what church is, home of the religion, right? We took religion off the menu, ma'am. Con permiso? I'm sorry. Ya no tiene religión? Nunca más voy a regresar. How could you not have it anymore? I want my regular religion and my Diet Coke, and that's all. That's all I want. We had Diet Pepsi. What happened was people freaked. Get me my religion! Well, we are in week three of a series called Losing My Religion. And it's a call to stop falling for the myth that by engaging in a system of rules and rituals that you'll draw closer to God or that you'll be made right with Him. What you need to know is that uh, what you need in life and for life, religion will never be able to provide for you. Only a relationship with Christ can do that. We've been in the book of Colossians for this series. And we're going to continue to do that today. So what I want, if, if you don't have a Bible with you today, the ushers are going to be coming down the aisle. Um, just give them a nod and they will uh, put the most powerful and life-giving book in your hand and it is yours to keep. To catch you up a little bit, where we're at is uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christ followers in Colossae because they were being influenced by and by a distortion of uh, Christianity, so by other religions and philosophies. And so Paul was calling them not to get sucked into this, these religions that were blending the Christian ideas with a bunch of other philosophies. That at the surface, they seemed really spiritual. But underneath, when you looked at them, they, they were empty. They were void. They were useless. And what they were were man's attempt to try to gain experience, to try to um, seek fulfillment, to feel purpose in life, and to try to change uh, their mundane lives into something different. And I think we can all relate with that even today, right? We still seek to feel like, you know, to have fulfillment in life and to have purpose in life. So, that, you know, we can relate to what was going on at the time. It's something we're all doing. And so we're calling you to lose your religion. If, Probably sick of hearing that. Donnie's probably said it as he's come through here. But lose your religion and find a relationship with Jesus Christ and find that freedom that he can bring. And what I want today to look at is find life which he can bring as well. I grew up in Massachusetts, and both my parents were um, in the school system, public school system. So that meant we had nice long summers together. Um, I have great memories. I, n I don't have a memory of summer in my hometown because as soon as those doors opened for the summer, um, we, we drove two hours out to Cape Cod and we stayed there from like uh, June 22nd all the way through Labor Day. Um, so for me, summers were staying in the tent, walking a half mile over to the bathroom, uh, going and filling up the five-gallon jugs for dad, and I didn't like it at the time, but being around water and... Uh, so my parents, since we're around water all day long, they put us in swimming lessons every year. We just seemed to graduate up in our, our skill level. And it came uh, high school, I could finally go for my lifeguarding certification. And uh, I was all excited about that. And the way that worked was you, you actually do these simulated rescues, but they're live. They're at the beach. Um, and you kind of play victim for the guy who's going to be a lifeguard. So there are two of us. There's David and myself. 
and I was the first to go out and be the victim. And I swam out about 50 yards. It was on the bay side, not the ocean side. I swam out, and I, you know, they told me, okay, Rob, once you get out there, act like you're in trouble. So I got out there, and I did the bobbing and the noise and the flailing of the arms. And uh, so David spotted me, and he entered the water, and he just you know, kept his eyes locked on me, and he, he was coming out to me. Um, and it was a wavy day. It, uh, the seas were a little bit rough. And in the middle of pretending, I actually, you know, ingested, you know, enough water to make me start to really choke, really start bobbing, really start being panicking. And um, I was telling the folks last week that, I mean, David must have thought, this guy is an incredible actor, unbelievable. But I I was really panicking. He he came up to me, you're, you're taught to do like a rescue hold, and I just fought him. He was trying to get that hold on me, and I was kicking him and pushing him, and, and he couldn't get on me. Eventually, I did. All my energy was gone, and he was able to, to put his hold on me, and he's swimming me back in, and you would think I would just go for the ride with him, but I gained my energy back, and I started fighting him again and trying to push him off, and he kept talking to me. He said, Rob, I, I'm the one that's going to get you to safety. Calm down. Just, just let me get you there. And, and until I realized, until I finally said, w- what I'm doing is getting me nowhere. Uh, once I realized that and I started to depend on him and trust him for what he said he was going to do, it actually happened. I experienced it. Now, I bring that up because many of you are going through life and you're trying to go at it all by yourself, kind of like I was in that water. And so I want, I want to talk about today's point right up front. You know, usually you save that for the end, but I want to I talk about it right at the front. And that is, Christ wants to be your life. He wants to make your heart his home, where he can rule, where you can experience the life that you're meant to have if you'd only yield that control to him. So this morning, I want to look at that a little bit. Now, religion in the world will tell you, wait, whoa, wait a minute, dependence is a bad thing, especially dependence on someone else. But see, we were created to live for so much more than ourselves. But the world won't tell you that. They will say that dependence is a bad thing. But you will never experience the life that Jesus spoke about in John 10.10 when he said, I have come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. You'll never be able to experience that if you follow the way of religion because religion will stifle that life. And Donnie's been talking about how religion, uh, the focus tends to be on us, right? Me. And he talked about me-ism. And when you look at it, it boils down to acceptance. We all want to be accepted. I want to be accepted by you. I, I want you to accept me. And I want my creator to accept me. I want God to accept me. But the problem with religion is it will make you think you have to do things in order to gain that acceptance. And so we start to go about our lives doing these things and start to look at how people see us, right? Or how we think they see us. Or how I would like them to see me. You know, and those, if you think about it, how, how ridiculous is that? Because what are the odds that I can get every one of you to have the same view about me? There is no way. And how do, I, how do we know that our view of ourselves is actually accurate? How do you know it hasn't been influenced by maybe what you're going through? 
Maybe you have an abusive spouse that has told you over and over again that you're worthless. That's got to affect your view of yourself. Maybe your parent has never been involved in your life, right? And you start to think you're not worthy of, of time. Or you're getting older in age and you think, I don't really have anything, else, uh, anything to contribute anymore like I did when I was younger. Those are not biblical views of who you are in God's eyes. And instead, what we end up doing is we build our lives. We build our identity on these things. We look at our performance, you know, good or bad. We've, we judge ourselves based on our performance. Or we judge ourselves on our past, you know, how well we've done or how well we can provide or not provide. And these things we end up doing and evaluating and forming our identity and basing life on these things. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, am I doing in life in order to be in life? I think that's a question we've always got to ask it because that thing you want to stop. You want to stop doing that. Because when you realize that life is about a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you stop trying to go through life and you, want, you let life go through you. And you say, well, Rob, what is that abundant life that Jesus spoke about? Help me understand that. And if you look at Scripture, you know, kind of the big story, if you look at Genesis, you look at the book of John, you look at Ephesians and Colossians, you'll see that you were created to be in a relationship with God and that you are to bear his image more tomorrow, more the next day, so we are to bear his image. That's kind of, you know, yeah, that, what does that look like? And Paul helps us here. We're going to be looking at um, Colossians chapter 3. He helps us understand a little bit about what that looks like. In chapters 1 and 2, right, he sets some truths. He gave us some truths about who we are in Christ as Christ followers, you know, some facts that cannot be shaken no matter what. And now he transitions in chapter 3, you know, from that theological stuff over to some practical advice to help us understand that. And so what I want to do in, on page 818 of the Bibles we just handed out, if you flip there, we're going to be in Colossians 3, uh, starting in verse 1 this morning. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Paul says, um, since then, and, and he says that because he's transitioning, right? Since all that stuff I just said, since I told you that Christ is supreme and that Christ is all that you need, since all of that is true, Rob, then if you call yourself a Christ follower, then your life ought to make a difference. You ought to be different because of it. And religion will usually make us set our eyes and our actions on things that are around us. And Paul's saying, oh, no, no, no. You were created to set your mind and be connected w with what is above, not what is below us. And so he says that right here. Now, that does not mean, okay, well, live with your, you know, you get this picture when you say, well, do you sit there and you, like, ponder eternity? Do you withdraw from everybody and you're a Christ follower, so you've got to be different and you've got to 
have your head in the clouds and people go, man, look at that. No, <laughs> that's not at all what he's saying. If you were to finish the letter, if you were to look at his other letters and the rest of Scripture, you'll see that God calls us, go about your life. Go about your work. Go about your relationships. But Rob, because, again, because you're a Christ follower, you ought to be different. You ought to be able to have a perspective that's not just the earthly perspective. All the time, you may worry, Rob, because you're so caught in the circumstance. Have a heavenly perspective, Rob. Or our values are to change, too. We're to have you know, almost God-sized values where we start to value what he does. You know, where we value forgiving over revenge. Where we value giving instead of getting. Those are the things. That, that's what he means when he says, you know, have that heavenly perspective and keep setting your mind continually on those things. And so he calls us to do that. And that's hard. Maybe easy for you to keep doing that. But to sustain that long term, that's hard. And but there's some truths that, are, you know, verse 3, I think, is a truth that will help us do that. And there are other spots in Scripture. But what verse 3 implies is that we are different. As a Christ follower, you are different than the moment you entered into a relationship, you know, like before you entered into a relationship with Christ. You are different. Scripture will tell you you're different in two ways. The first is Christ is in you. If you read John 15 or if you read Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is in you. That's the first difference. The second one is, is that you are in Christ. Verse 3 and 4, get at this in this letter. Paul is saying, your life is now hidden with Christ. And Christ is alive and he is seated at the right hand of God at this very moment. That's a place of honor. Christ is in you and you are in Christ. That's a truth that if we live our lives with those facts and we know those and we proceed and execute life, it could be much different than the way we usually play it out. Christ is our life, Paul says. And when, when you say something is your life, that usually implies something. That usually means that there's a sense of urgency or desire that that thing gives you. You usually make decisions around that thing that you say, you know, soccer or food or surfing or running is my life. They usually shape who you are, you know, and what you do. Because what, what is at the center of our lives? It empowers us. It gives us a drive. It, it shapes our thought patterns. And Paul is saying, Christ is your life. And we are to have as little desire for those earthly things, desire to let them rule us as a dead person. And literally, he's saying that. You ought to not let those things rule. That ought to be so little in your life. And he's calling us to do that. And so we've, you know, I've got to ask myself the question, what is the big thing in my life that I'm living for? What makes a good day good for me? right? How do I, you know, how do I shape my day? How do I shape my behavior? What's fulfilling in my life? Religion will tell you, you are the king of your life. But, you know, we're not meant, we weren't created to play that role. God was. And so to 
play that role, we're actually robbing our humanity and our life that is meant in, in Christ. So Paul helps us in the next two sections to help us understand what it means to put Christ at the center. He just, it's not a, a finite list. It, it, there's more, but he helps us understand what it would mean to put Christ at the center. Look at verse 5. It says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lusts, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have been taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. In these next two sections, Paul helps us understand this little battle we've got going on, a battle of the earthly nature and the heavenly nature. And in the section we just read, he, he lists some sins that kind of pollute us and block us from experiencing the life that Christ would have for us. And he, he gives us not only external behaviors like anger and rage, which you can usually see on somebody, right? But he also gives us internal stuff that's going on inside, in the heart, like greed and lust. And he's saying if we, are to, if we are setting our minds and actions on things above, it wouldn't be those things. Because when we, when we do those, we are setting our minds on things that are here below. And we're ending up serving the created instead of the creator. And again, we're filling that space that's meant for only him to rule. We're, sp- we're filling it up with gratifying our own desires and our own demands. And the thing is, is this list here, it's deceiving. Because you can do those things and you can feel alive. But later, they will actually make you feel dead. So in the moment, they make you feel alive. But later, they will make you feel dead. Take, for instance, sexual immorality. At the time, those false teachings and the gods that were going, you know, multiple gods, they were taught not to control your sexual desire, no, just go gratify it. That's what they taught at the time. Now, I don't think we've shifted much from that at all. We still see that today. You're not taught to that the gift of sex is actually a gift and it's precious and that if it's used otherwise, it actually spoils it. And the world won't tell you that about the baggage, the emotional, the physical, the spiritual baggage that when we misuse sex, that that will bring. You don't see it, but all you have to do is look at broken families. All you have to be is a fly in the wall in a counselor's office or a pastor's office. And this stuff is real. So setting our minds and our, and our hearts and our actions on above would mean to save that gift for our spouse or only for our spouse. These behaviors like evil desires, that's deceiving because in the moment you may go, ha, I won. You know, justice was served here. And maybe it is. I'm not saying that, you know, throw out the law. I'm not saying that. But I'm, I'm talking about evil desires. And you know the difference in your heart. When you're acting in an evil way, you may feel like you want injustice is served. But if you look back behind you, you will see a bunch of broken relationships that you stepped on and a lot of hurt people. 
So these behaviors, they are deceiving because you may feel like alive in the moment, but later you will feel dead. And Paul says for us to put those things off. And, and if you look at, the, at that original word that he used to put to death, put off, it actually means to take extreme measure to completely stop, to cease from such activity. And, and Paul's calling us to take those things off, to almost like grave clothes and get rid of them forever. Lazarus, if you know that, it's a popular story in the New Testament. Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. But Lazarus had a problem. Lazarus was dead. He'd been dead for four days when Jesus enters his hometown. And Jesus gets there, and, and Lazarus' sisters come, and they say, you know, if you were, they were grieving. If, if you were here, he would have lived. And you read in Scripture that short verse, you know, Jesus wept. He wept. And right after that, he says, take me to the tomb. Take me to where he is. So he, they go there. And Jesus says, you know, roll away the tomb, uh, roll away the stone. And the sisters say, surely you wouldn't want us to do that because he's been dead for four days. There will be an odor. And I chuckled. The King James Version says, he stinketh. That's what they said. And he said, roll away the stone. And he calls out, Lazarus, come out. And you read in the Bible that he comes out wrapped in linen because grave clothes then were small strips of linen dipped in some substance wrapped tightly around the body. He, he looked like a mummy when he came out. That was his grave clothes. Now, I share the story because the story doesn't end there. In John chapter 11, it doesn't end there. There is another sentence. So yes, Jesus raised him from the dead. But then he says, he tells the people around him to take off to help Lazarus take off those grave clothes. And then the story ends. And you want it. It almost comes to a screeching halt. I think in a couple chapters later, Jesus does come back into town, and people flock to see him, and they want to see Lazarus. But it's done. You don't learn any more about Lazarus. And you wonder what his life was like. Did he leave that day? Did he run and go get those, those clothes? You know, almost like when somebody scores in hockey, they, they put that puck in the net, first goal, they grab it, and they hold on to it forever. Did he go and get those grave clothes that they took off and hold on to them? You know, put them in his, in his room and say, you know, just go back on a rainy day and reminisce and think about that? I, I don't think so. They reeked. They stinketh, it says. I don't think he went back. It would be ridiculous to go back, and it would be ridiculous for us, you know, people who have been raised from death to life. That's what Scripture tells us, and Christ would have done that. Um, for us to go back living the way we once did. And that's exactly what Paul was saying in verse 7 when he said, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of such things as these. And so ask yourself, where am I saying I'm living for God, but I'm actually living for myself? Almost as if I'm putting on those grave clothes of a dead man. Because Paul now transitions and he's saying, put all that stuff off and put on something better. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There was a shift. 
in the two verses, and I, I don't know if you caught it, but the stuff that we were to put off, if you look at what that dealt with, it dealt with the individual. Rob put off anger, put off rage. And then you read this list, and what it deals with is personal relationships. He, Paul does not say, now Rob, put on your organizational skill. Now Rob, put on your, your charm. No, he lists a bunch of virtues that are used to maintain and promote healthy relationships. Because think about it, you can't be slanderous when you're being compassionate. You can't be full of rage and peaceful all at the same time. And so he's calling us, put on these behaviors. And you can say, you know, I sort through some of these and I go, okay, well, easy in this case, very hard in this other case. And so you may find yourself saying, oh, Rob, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're asking me, say, to forgive somebody in my heart when you actually have no idea what that person did to me. Or you're asking me to be patient when you don't know how long I've been actually going at this. Or to be humble when the person that I'm dealing with, oh, he is so, he, he's arrogant as anything, and you're asking me to do that. That's tough. Yes, <laughs> it is tough. I know it is tough to do it in our own strength, absolutely. And to be able to sustain doing that over and over again, it is incredibly hard. But that's the second thing I want us to notice in these verses. If you look at those virtues, what are they? They are the ca characteristics of who God is. He is those things. Galatians 5:22 says, right, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. John, 1 John 4 says God is love. God is those things, and he, Paul is telling us to clothe ourselves with who God is. And it kind of, we go right back to the beginning of the message and kind of why I set, wanted us to focus on the point, and that is Christ is those things. So it is like psychologically true that we can put off old habits and we can put on and form new habits in X amount of days. But the secret is, it is especially true for a Christ follower because he has the power of God in him that he can actually do that. Without that truth, what do we have? All we have is put off and put on, right? And that's just a bunch of rules. And again, I, you know, we would fail to meet those in our own strength over the long haul. It's just like the, the rescue story of, of myself. There is no way. I totally ran out of all of my strength trying to save myself. And it wasn't until I listened, I trusted, I depended on David about saving my life did, it, did I actually have the chance to experience that. And God is calling us to continually depend on him. And for some of you today, that may mean because you've been ruler of your heart since day one. And you've decorated the home the way you've wanted. And maybe you're looking around and you're not liking what you see. Maybe you're tiring. Maybe you're holding, holding on to a lot of pain. Maybe you're chasing that acceptance that I, I spoke about. For you, finding life first means finding Christ letting him make his home your heart and letting him rule there and give you life. Now, for others, you may be a Christ follower already, but something always 
somehow seems to slip in there and take rule over your heart. But what you got to know is that if Jesus is in your life and the one place that self cannot be is in, t- in the center because that is a place that's only meant for God alone. And Jesus would give us kind of the same advice in both of these situations. In, in Luke 9, 23, he says, if anyone were to come after me, he would have to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. Imagine what your life, what your marriage, say, would look like if you put to death that affair, if you put to death that a porn- pornography, and you started to embrace God and let him restore the love, the passion that you thought would never come back in that marriage. Imagine what it would be like for your financial life if you, if you put to death trying to stop buying happiness in life and you embraced self-control and the power of God to lead you down a path of financial freedom. Whatever is going on in your life, imagine what it would be like if you let him come into your heart, if you let him make it his home, and if you were relentless about denying anything that tried to kind of take rule over that center position. Imagine what that would be like. Today, may you choose to put off religion, put on Christ, and find that life that he wants to bring and let him start to to make you into the person that you were meant to be. If this morning you've never asked Christ to make your heart his home, or if you want to talk to somebody about, you know, just praying about making him the center continually, and you're a Christ follower and you want to just talk about doing that and pray, well, there'll be some folks over here to, to pray with you and do that this morning. Um, otherwise, thanks for coming and worshiping with us this morning. Have a great Sunday.